Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are It is good to be in the house of the Lord. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we pray for this portion of the service. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the move of your spirit in this place. I thank you, Lord, for what you've done already. We recognize that you are here. We recognize that your work is ongoing on this day in our lives. I pray now for this portion of the service, which is the ministering of your word. I place myself before you, and I pray that I would be your mouthpiece. I pray your anointing over my life to be able to share the words you've placed on my heart for your people. I pray that you would speak to them, and I pray for them. I pray for the heart of every man, woman, and young person here, I am confident that your word will reach them where they are at. I am confident that your work will do in each person here what it was sent forth to do. It will not return to you void. It will accomplish what it was sent forth to do. I pray that you would find in this place good and fertile ground, ready and willing to accept the good seed that is your word. Do in us what you want to do. In Jesus' name we pray. If you believe it, can you say amen? Amen, amen and amen. You may be seated. Um, I absolutely love the uh, title and theme of your new series, Under the Sun. I believe it, it sets the stage for us to consider everything that happens on this side of eternity. Um, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you will see that it, it kind of leads you to start to consider many things uh, that are taking place as actually uh, the author is doing himself. And we'll get to Solomon just a bit. But today I've been given the task to share on chapter 3. Um, and there's a lot in chapter 3, really. You, you, uh, I, 30 to 45 minutes is not enough to, to kind of summarize what takes place uh, in chapter 3, but there is a, a phrase in there that really ministered to me as I, as I meditated on that portion of Scripture, and that's what I'm going to share. But before I do, uh, before I share on chapter 3 and the words that Solomon uh, wrote in this chapter, I think it's important to take a look at Solomon. And your pastor did a, a very good job of summarizing many of the things that were going on uh, towards the end of, of Solomon's life. Um, but uh, I'd like to do a little bit of that as well, maybe take a little more time uh, than he did. Uh, the Solomon who wrote, who penned Ecclesiastes, was not the same Solomon we read about in Kings and Chronicles. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of that, but he's not the same person. When Kings and Chronicles speaks about Solomon 
and everything he did and his heart for God and his relationship with God and his reverence for God, the Solomon we read about in Kings and Chronicles is not the same Solomon that wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He's not the same because what you read about in Kings and Chronicles comes across totally different than what you read about in Ecclesiastes. Just a question. How many of you have read or are reading or studying the book of Ecclesiastes? Show of hands. Have you read some of the things that, that he writes and you think, man, this guy doesn't sound very spiritual? <laughs> Raise your hand if that's happened to you. Raise your hand if you, after reading a couple scriptures you think about, that was my life before I came to Christ. Eat and drink and be merry, and that's all that life is. Jeez, that's what my life before I get to Christ. So can we accept the fact that he's not the same man? That something has taken place in his life that has caused him to write the way he writes. I mean, we change in life. I'm not the same person I was when I was 20 years old. We all go through changes, yes? You have a pastor, Pastor Alfredo, God, God rest his soul. He used to say, that person's going through changes. He used to say about everybody all the time. When somebody would upset him, when somebody would fall short, he says, they're going through changes. And to a certain degree, that is very true. As human beings, we go through many changes in life. Some good, some we'd like back, some that are not very good at all. Now, as you read the book of Ecclesiastes, there are glimpses into the heart of the man who used to love God, whose desire was to please God, there is glimpses into the heart of the man who placed God first, who placed his God-given task first. There are glimpses of that in the book of Ecclesiastes. But if we truly look at the words, if we examine Ecclesiastes, we will see what becomes of a man who compromises his convictions and God's commands. The price one will ultimately pay if they don't address the appetites in their life that are contrary to what God expects and demands from his people. Did you catch that word, appetites? We all have them. Every born-again, blood-bought, spirit-filled saint has appetites that are contrary to what God wants for your life. Don't look at your neighbor. Don't elbow them. Don't say, I wish so-and-so was here. Every born-again, blood-bought, spirit-filled saint has appetites that are contrary to what God wants for your life. Solomon had an issue. Yes? And that issue, you might say, was women. I don't necessarily agree with that statement. Solomon had an issue, and it was made manifest for his desire for women. We, you know, we jump to conclusions sometimes. We don't take the time to to analyze and study, not other people, but even ourselves. And we look at the manifestation of something and we think that that's the problem. That's usually not the problem. 
I'm not here to give you psychotherapy or anything of the sort. But for a man who could have had it all, as long as he stayed within the parameters of what God wanted for him, constantly went against what God wanted for his life in this area. It was a manifestation of deeper issues. But he had an issue that was made manifest in his insatiable desire for women. That means could not be satisfied. 700 wives and 300 concubines. Think about that for a second. You think you have no free time. <laughs> the Bible says that he loved them all. This is the first gigolo we see in scripture. <laughs> a ladies' man. He loved. Que bonito. He loved them all. <laughs> I think it'd be a fair bet that he couldn't even name them all. If you got more than three kids and you start thinking about birthdays and names, sometimes you call them by different names. <laughs> Numbers. Number one through five for me. I go to the pharmacy, and they ask me for the birth date. I'm thinking, okay, well, first kid, sec second kid, December. I'm here. The lady looks at me like I'm crazy. I got, I got five. <laughs> the Bible says he loved them all. Interesting enough, the Hebrew, the Hebrew word that is used for love, guess what it also means? Appetite. You think about he loved them all. You say, man, that guy had a heart of gold. No, no, he had an appetite for them all. Now, why is that important? Why is that word appetite important? You see, appetite focuses on the craving and the desire one feels to satisfy a want. Where are my mamas here? Moms, think about pregnancy cravings. Do you remember those? Where you had these cravings that came on you, came upon you, and you had to satisfy the need. And if your husband didn't do what was necessary, if he didn't move heaven and earth to help out the situation, it would pass, and the next craving would take its place. My wife had this insatiable craving for pickles. <laughs> That I, to this day, the smell is right here. <laughs> I remember she was pregnant, which God did an amazing thing because uh, I used to worry that my wife didn't have a heart until, we got, until she got pregnant. I, like, I, I wondered. I wondered. She was stone cold. She didn't, and no, no, it's true. I, I kind of mix it up a little bit. I changed. I probably wouldn't talk about this because she's here, if she were here. But the truth is... <laughs> I knew she loved me. I knew she loved God. But I would wonder, man, that, this girl has a heart of stone. And she said, I don't want kids. And God did a work in her life. I mean, right before we got married, God began to do a, a deep work in her life. But when she got pregnant, this woman changed. She would cry during commercials. <laughs> she completely changed. One day we were out uh, on a date, and we went to the movies 
it was God for her because she had this desire for pickles. At that time, uh, this movie theater was selling pickles. <laughs> what in the world is that? Like, who came up with that idea? Who's the marketing person? Let's sell giant pickles. Like, that person should be fired. I think my wife was the only one who bought a pickle in that, in that place. But she bought a pickle, and the smell of it drove me crazy. And the juice, she would drink the juice of that thing. <laughs> Qué asco. She had an appetite. She had to satisfy that want. It's different than love. And Solomon had an appetite for all these women. You see, an appetite comes and goes. An appetite is temporary and seeks to be quenched immediately. And when one gives themselves over to their appetites, it becomes a vicious cycle of desire and lust and your quest to satisfy it. Appetites are absent of true and meaningful fulfillment. If and when you give yourself over to an appetite, you prioritize cravings over conviction. And that's what Solomon did. Like Solomon, you will cling to the things that God said no to. Everybody here has at least one thing that God has said no to you. I've got one. And I know it's not debatable. I know that if and when I ever start to bargain with God, not do it, bargain with God on that particular subject, my heart has been separated from God. Every person here has something where God has said no to you. And if that hasn't happened yet, I recommend you spend more time with God. God said to him, don't. And from the beginning... He took Pharaoh's daughter to be his wife. From the very beginning. Solomon was not the same man, and this is certain because of what 1 Kings chapter 11 says about him. It says that Solomon's heart turned away from God. The very things he loved, the things he had an appetite for turned his heart away from God, especially as he got older. There might be certain things that you're teetering the line on when you're younger, and you can give the appearance of victory, but as you get older, those things will overcome you. In the end... Solomon was not loyal to God. By the way, this comes just from 1 Kings chapter 11. The Bible says he wasn't loyal to God. The Bible says that he went after and served foreign gods. Guys, this is the son of King David. The one whom God appeared to and said to him, 
You and your descendants will reign over all Israel, and I will keep my commandment with you just like I did with David. And he failed. Solomon ruined the promises that God had for him and for generation upon generation upon generation. God had chosen Israel so that the line of David would rule through 12 tribes by descendants of David, descendants of Solomon. And it didn't make one generation. 1 Kings says that Solomon did evil in the sight of God. That he did not fully follow the Lord. He did just what was necessary in the end. He gave the appearance of godliness, but in his heart, his heart was far from God. You know, like the scripture says, you worship me with your mouth and with your lips, but your heart is what? Far from me. Solomon didn't keep what the Lord commanded. Solomon went as far as building high places of worship for each one of his foreign wives. How many wives did he have? 700. He built a high place of worship for each one of these foreign wives. He veered away so much from God that God said he would tear the kingdom away from him. That word tear, that's a big word. He was going to rip it from him. And the saving grace that he wouldn't do it while he was alive. That is the Solomon I see in the book of Ecclesiastes. A man who still possessed God-given wisdom but a man whose appetites had taken their toll in his life. A man who experienced the grace, the favor, and the goodness of God. A man whom God elevated because of his desire to honor him and to fulfill a generational covenant to rule over God's people. A man who experienced divine success because of his humility. A man who built God's house and dedicated it with such anointing and eloquence. Yes, was that Solomon? That was Solomon. And then in Ecclesiastes 3, my portion that I have to share on, I didn't choose this. A man who did all that, a man whose whose sole desire was to lead and rule God's people in his wisdom. The Lord said in a vision, what do you want from me? He considered what was before him. A young man whose father, God says, that's the man I love. That man says to him, I just want wisdom in order to lead your people. And God says, because you didn't ask me for riches, because you didn't ask me for this, because you didn't ask me for blessings, because you asked me for wisdom, I will give you wisdom and I will give you everything your hearts desire. That man who experienced and lived all of that 
Listen to what he writes in Ecclesiastes 3 towards the end. God tests man. Yes or no? Does God test man? To show them that they are animals. Excuse me? I didn't write this. How would you like it if you showed up to church, you didn't know what was in Ecclesiastes, and your pastor, myself, the preacher today, says to you, God will test you to show you you're an animal. I can hear my mom saying to my dad when I was little, Eres un animal! I can hear that. That's just right there. Right there. I write that like if it was yesterday. Leonardo, eres un animal. Would you think your preacher was full of the wisdom of God and the Holy Spirit if the Bible study and the message was, God is going to test you because you're an animal? That's what Solomon wrote. He says, the fate of man and of animals is the same. Excuse me? That's in your Bible, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 towards the end. And the worst of all, who knows if the spirit of man goes upward? I hope you got a problem with those statements. I've got a problem with every single one of those statements. Pastor, why is it allowed in Scripture? For warning and for our learning. You think about that the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit, it is. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit allows man's humanity to be seen so that we would learn from it. When you read that Solomon wrote, God will test you to show you you're an animal, your greatest accomplishment in life is not to eat to pee and poop and die. The inspired word of God is there for our learning. That's what the Bible says. All things are written for our what? Our learning. And when you read that, you should say there's something wrong with this man. Not with the word of God. There is something wrong with this man who says, God will test you to prove to you that you are a man, an animal. The worst one of all, does the spirit of man go upwards? More on that later. Enough of who Solomon became. I want to focus on what was left of God's wisdom in him. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, we're talking about a lot about men and women, right, the differences. Uh, we, we at times think that men are pretty uncomplicated. And when you compare us to women, we are definitely much easier to crack. Like our code compared to women, it's pretty simple. Pretty simple. But every human being, to a certain degree, is complicated. I mean, we all have issues, don't we? Every person here has issues. 
Some more than others, granted. But within the life of this complicated man, and I've spent a good portion talking about who he had become, there was still wisdom, God-given wisdom in this man. Even as he had fallen away, the hand of God, the fingerprint of God, the, the, the residue of the wisdom that God had placed over his life were still evident. And they were evident in Ephesians chapter, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Because he starts chapter 3 by stating that there is a season for everything. And there is a purpose within every season. What does that mean? That means for the child of God, where are the children of God? Show of hands, the for the child of God, nothing you face happens by chance or by coincidence. God orchestrates or allows everything that you and I go through. I love the way Solomon puts it in verse 11, and this is actually the title of my message. He, he titles it or, or puts it in the following form, the work that God does. The work that God does. That work that God does is vast. It is unapologetic. The work of God is extensive. The work of God is detailed. The work of God is confrontational. And the work of God is never-ending. You don't graduate from the work of God. His work in each one of our lives is unique to who we were, exact to who we are now, and specific to whom we are meant to be. God's work is not cookie cutter. Many of us want God to work in others the way he works in us. Or we want him to work in us the way he works in others. It's not going to happen. As Paul des described the work of God, you know what he said? It was a good work. God's work is good. It is beneficial. God's work is inherently good. It may not always feel good. Can I get an amen? God's work may not always feel good, but it is ultimately good. It may not be pleasant to our flesh. And there will be times where our understanding will fail us. Have you ever asked God why? Raise your hand if you've ever asked God why. That means your understanding has failed you. But God's work is still good. His work is ongoing. And God's work is always. Can you say always? Always in agreement with what he desires to see in you. God's work in you today is in agreement with the end result he sees in you. That end result is the bride of Christ. And everything he does in your life is to align you to be the bride of Christ. How often do you and I think about that? We often want the work of God to be in agreement with our plans, with what we want. And not all of those things are bad. Most of the things that we want are good. 
That doesn't mean that they're what God wants. Or what God wants now. There are things, there are moments and circumstances that are imposed on us by the work of God. Why? Because they are agreeable to him. They may be unexpected to us. But in the end, it's been God's plan all along. God is not surprised by the work of his hands. How often are we surprised by God? We say, man, that's what God was doing. Now I see what the Lord was doing. Some of us are a little thick, and it takes us a long time to... God's doing a lesson, and we keep going over the same lesson. I don't understand, because you're not applying the lesson. I want to let you know today that God is at work. God is at work in the life of everybody who's called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's at work in each one of us. He doesn't stop. There's times you feel alone, but you're not. There's times that your emotions are having a field day, a field day in your mind. God is still at work. I want to take you to Isaiah chapter 64 and point out three very important, th three very important things about the work that God does. It's Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8. Isaiah says this. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. And all we are, the work of your hands. So number one. The prophet said, you are my father. You have a heavenly father. You have a father in heaven. That makes you a child of God. Amen. That makes you a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Think about that for a second. God the son who left it all in eternity. Came to this earth to fulfill the will of the father. He did. He died. He was buried. And three days later, rose again from the dead. Was alive amongst the disciples for a time. Ascended back to heaven. And what did he do in heaven? He, he took his rightful place in eternity. That's where Jesus is right now. At the right hand of the Father. Do you know what the Bible says about you and me? That we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. That means Jesus has set a place for you and I that will be considered at the same level of his inheritance. Think about that next time you pray for something here and you're so caught up with something you want under the sun. And Jesus is saying to you, if you only knew what I'm preparing for you. If you just had a glimpse of what, what is just waiting for you. And you're caught up on a three-bedroom, two-bath house. 
You're doubting my love for you because nobody's given you a raise in a year. You're fighting with me because your car is giving you problems and you want a better one. If we only knew what is already prepared for us, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Under the sun is important, but it could be a smokescreen. Our life on this side of eternity is very important. There's a lot of things we have to do under the sun, but if you get caught up with under the sun, you're going to miss out on eternity. You are my father. You gave me life. You chose me. You called me. You sustained me. You are the ruler and chief of my life. That's what it is to have our heavenly father. Acknowledging those things. Number two. I am the clay and you are the potter. Listen, I... I the, this portion of scripture in Jeremiah, I mean, they just blow me away when the Lord took them to the, to the potter's house. And uh, one of our bishops, Miguel, has Miguel preached here or no? Oh, man, you got to bring that, that man down. He is joy personified. That, that man is, is a poem. Just, it's my friend, my companion in the ministry. And uh, while he grew up, uh, before, you know, he was raised in a, in a, in a Christian home. His father, was, his father and mother served the Lord as pastors. Um, he became a potter. He studied pottery. And uh, now that he's a pastor, one of the things he does is he preaches on the clay. And he brings the clay and the potter's wheel and actually does a message, actually many messages, through the, 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 the presentation of the clay and the, and the uh, potter. Uh, I have no skill in that. But something I do have, I've translated for him like ten times. So that gives, me, that gives me a little bit of experience, right, to see what the man is doing and, and actually speak for him, especially in Ohio where nobody speaks Spanish. I was actually the potter. I, wasn't, I had an assistant doing it for me, but I was the voice for those people because they didn't speak English. But to see that and to experience that so many times, I think really, in, in all honesty, my being there, my being present, and actually translating his messages has given me some form of, I know what he's talking about. But he says here, I am the clay and you are the potter. This is so very important to remember. Why? Because the clay is the recipient of the potter's actions. You take clay, and you, you see that when he grabs the clay and he puts it, it goes, it's just a big old thump. The clay can do nothing until the potter picks it up with his hand. Think about that when you know you're outside of the will of God. The potter didn't take you there. <laughs> you, the big old lump, just moved and drug itself outside of the table. Can clay do that? I'm, 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 I'm giving you a little example here. When the potter goes to get the clay, it's not a beautiful piece of clay. It's taken from the earth. There's rocks. There's dirt. There's all these impurities in it. Ring any bells? And you know what he does to that clay? He throws it on the floor. You know what he does? 
The potter stomps on the clay, to, not to kill the clay, but to remove the impurities. Think about, next, think about that next time you feel the hand of God over your life. You say, the Lord's trying to kill me. He's not. He's just removing those impurities you are so desperately holding on to. Because he's not going to work with you until those impurities are gone. Oh, when am I going to be useful for God? When you let him take the impurities away. Some of us are just dealing with this one thing. And the Lord's saying, until you surrender that one thing, you're going to be a lump. Just with a big old rock sticking up out of it. Any potter who cares about his work is not going to use that clay. Because there are impurities in that clay. But pastor, what are you saying? I got to be perfect? No, I never said that. I'm talking about the impurities that God has already put his finger on in your life. The ones where he has said, I love you. I've got something for you. You are going to do something amazing for the kingdom. But we got to deal with this. And we want to hurdle that and enlist to do great things for God. The potter's not going to take the clay. The potter will not use the clay until it's ready to be used. The clay can do nothing on its own. Remember when Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. But boy, we try, don't we? Boy, we try to do things apart from God, and we are over a thousand. The clay remains in the potter's hand and under his touch at all times. Once the potter chooses the clay, he never, never takes his hand off the clay. The clay is always under his touch and under his direction. The potter knows exactly what he's doing. Maybe you're here today and you're praying for answers. You're praying for insight. You're praying for understanding. And I believe God will show us, will reveal that many times. But there are times where God is not going to give us understanding. He wants obedience. He knows exactly what he's doing. You and I don't need to know exactly what God's doing. We just need to know that the work that God does is good. Also, when we say that he is the potter, do you know that the potter has a vision for what he wants to see in the clay? Listen, so this, this movement of proclamation and declaration, and it's all what we want to see. It's our vision. And I'm not saying there's no place for that. There is. But some people are so busy proclamating and declarating that they are clueless to the vision of God. That's not here. That happens in the way Miami is not here. <laughs> and one thing that gives me hope is the potter knows exactly what the finished product should look like. 
When God looks at you, you know what he sees? A finished product. And he's dealing with you and working in you so that you would become that finished product. And the third one, he says, you are the work of his hand. The work and the dealings of God in your life are a reflection of who he is. God is doing something in you to reflect who he is. The things that God is working in you will show you more of himself. They will show you more of his character. They will show you more of his heart. Ultimately, the Father will use the Holy Spirit to build, to form, and to manifest the Son in us. We are God's greatest undertaking. That work of God in us, that work of God in Ecclesiastes that Solomon wrote about, that work in us will take up the entirety of our lifetime. God, when will you finish? Right before you step into eternity. Every one of us is a work in progress. There's times in our lives where we look more like of a disaster. Where we look like a demo project. There's times in our life where everything looks good on the outside, but behind the walls there's mold. And what will the work of God do? He's going to come and destroy it all over and do it again. But don't worry, there's a scripture in Jeremiah where it says the clay became marred in his hands. He did it on purpose. Because he knows what the finished product should look like. God's work is going to last every second till our last breath. We are the work of his hands. We are the product that God is putting out for the world. Do you know that, that God serves you to the world? That's what Jesus prayed for in the garden. Read what he said. He's putting us out for the world, for the lost, for the confused, and for the rebellious. Those people you can't stand, they are your mission field. We are the evidence that God is putting out for the hurting, for the bound, and for those asking God to help them. You are somebody's answered prayer. And lastly, as the work of his hand, our lives are to be a reflection that God is pursuing us. We focus so much on our pursuit of God, and we should. But do you know that God wants you? I've come to the realization that as much as I want God, God wants me more. It's heartbreaking that we become desensitized to this truth. That we get caught up with our life instead of our father. We go after the cares of this life. We go hard after the cares of this life. And we're timid when it comes to the presence of God. 
we become distracted with the things under the sun instead of focusing on him and his kingdom. We oftentimes choose to be entertained instead of growing our intimacy with God. We are too busy pursuing appetites. All the things that we want, all the while God just wants us. Stop. Stop striving for everything under the sun. Stop focusing on the things that are only under the sun. Stop making this life about our acquisitions that take place under the sun. Stop making this life about the blessings God has given you under the sun. This life is not about our blessings. It's about the blesser. Do you know that there are some people that cannot handle the blessings of God, and that's why those blessings are still waiting? Because God knows those blessings are going to mess you up. Because if you can't prioritize him now, you're not going to do it when you get your blessing. People who pray, oh, if I get this job, I'm going to be so faithful, they stop tithing. If the Lord gives me this house, it's going to be open for connect groups. Every Sunday they're out because that's the only day they can work on their projects. That doesn't happen here. That's in the way Miami only. And that's, I know it. I know it's not ministering to you. It's not speaking to you. Stop it. Stop striving after the things that only hold value under the sun. How many of the things consume us that are under the sun and when we get to eternity, they cannot even enter? <laughs> they won't exist. You notice I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm not. It's about our heart. It's about the things we go after. It's the things we're loyal to. Set your eyes, your mind, and your inner man. Set your affection on your father. And allow him to overtake you. I know what Solomon said. That God tests man to prove to man that they are animals. That in the end, we are just like the animals. I know that he said, who knows? If the spirit of man goes upward, I know what he said. But I'm here to tell you, by the word of God and the authority therein, that everybody who believes in Jesus shall never taste death. They will go from this life to the next. Am I contradicting the Bible? No, I'm contradicting a man whose wisdom, when he was right, I couldn't even tie his shoelace. But that wasn't the man who wrote Ecclesiastes. And it's there for my learning and it's there for a warning. That the, the man who possessed the most wisdom on earth at the end of his life was contemplating whether the human being and the animal are the same. That a man who was filled with wisdom to where people would flock to him from all over the world was saying, who knows? Who knows? 
If the spirit of man goes upward, it does. If you know the Lord, your spirit goes up to be with him. The Bible actually says, amen. The Bible actually says that when he comes, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be gathered together and meet the Lord where? Up there in the sky. Don't take somebody's wisdom for granted when they were right with the Lord and now you believe everything that comes out of their mouth. Your heritage, Solomon writes about the heritage, that the heritage of mankind and the heritage of animals is the same. No! Your heritage is not limited to the work of your hands. Your heritage is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah. That is your heritage. My dog's heritage is a bowl of food and a pet on the belly. That might make fun, some of you feel good, but that's not your heritage. My heritage, your heritage is Jesus Christ and all that he is preparing for you in eternity. Stand with me if you would this afternoon, or this morning rather, almost afternoon. I'm going to blame the fact that it was almost afternoon on the people who came up here before me, not me. <laughs> Solomon was right in this. This is where you see the, the complexity of this man. And really, it, it's a tragedy where, how his life finished. But you still see the wisdom of God. Listen to what he says. Whatever God does, it shall be forever. What did I say earlier? That you are the what of God? The work of God. The work that God is doing in you will last forever. I don't know what God is up to in your life, but I'm confident that it is good. Even if it doesn't feel good. What God is doing in your life right now is good. It is acceptable. It is in alignment with his will for your life. And God desires to be glorified through it. And through you, do not lose heart. He who started the good work in you will what? Will accomplish it. Will do it until the day of Jesus Christ. May our focus be on him and not on the things he gives us or wants us to fulfill under the sun. Our life is under the S-O-N, not under the S-U-N. This is, a, this is a, a, a vapor. We're here for a moment, and eternity is forever. We can't even, we can't even compare it. We can't even compare it. Don't lose heart. The things that God does in you, there is a time and a purpose for everything. But please do not be distracted. Listen to this. By the goodness of God on this side of eternity, all of his goodness flows from eternity. Do not be content with what you see with your eyes. It is simply an extension of God's goodness 
of God's favor, of God's commitment to be glorified in and through you. Do not be satisfied with what God gives you under the sun. Be content by entering into his presence, by knowing his heart, by understanding his character more, his love more, his discipline more. Those are the things, those are the things that are forever. Be thankful for what we have, yes. But that's not our life. Our life is about being in pursuit of him because he is pursuing us. As much as you pursue God at your best, God is pursuing you. He came for us. He said, Jesus said it. I came for the what? I came for the lost. How many of us were lost? He came for you before you ever, before you ever went to him. So on this day, as I close in prayer, right there where you are, could you come to the conclusion that the work of God is good in your life? If you can start from there, everything will fall into its, fall into its place. That I promise you. Let's pray together. Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you, O oh God, and we acknowledge that your work is good. It is acceptable. It is in alignment with what you want. It is in alignment with what you see in the end. Lord, I pray for every person here and the appetites that are still present. May we crave you more than we crave those things. I pray that through the power and discipline of the Holy Spirit and the self-control we have in your love, that we would fight those things, that we would conquer those things, knowing that if they are still there, if you still allow them to be there, you are teaching us something through them. Help us not go after anything that is under the sun more than we go after you. You are our father. You are the potter and we are the clay. And everything you do in our lives is in alignment with what you want to see in the end. May we strive for. May we press on. May we not grow tired or weary in our pursuit of you. May we want you more than anything. More than anything that lies under the sun. In Jesus' name, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your people and for the response your Holy Spirit is stirring up within our hearts. In Jesus' name, I pray. Together we say, amen.